The following message is brought to you by Champions Church. For more information, please visit champschurch.com. Uh, getting into the Word. I'm excited to get into the Word this morning. I want to give you a few things that we're going to look for in the Scripture today. If you want to take notes, you're welcome to. I want to encourage that. Uh, one of the things that we're going to look for is uh, how to know if you've forgotten. I don't know if you feel like a forgetful person, right? I mean, on occasion, I get a little overwhelmed, maybe spread too thin. You know, uh, uh, in all of this shutdown, I've never been so busy in my life. It, it doesn't feel like anything shut down. It just feels like now it takes twice as long. So, uh, there's a number of, of people who've had a different experience with that. Obviously, uh, I, I did not. But uh, I don't know if you've forgotten. We're going to see something in the Scripture that uh, can be uh, uh, applied to our lives to know if we've forgotten some things that we need to remember. Uh, another thing is uh, why Jesus set you free. Why he set you free. I mean, I love to sing the songs about that liberation and the freedom and, and confess the, the verses in the Scripture, but it's good to know why so that we can apply that to our lives and to get the results that uh, he intended. A third thing is what the Holy Spirit does. What the Holy Spirit does. What he's doing in your life, what he's doing in my life, what he's doing in congregations, what, what he's doing among believers. There's something specific that Jesus says that he does, and we're going to find that. Uh, I want to go, first of all, to a passage of Scripture where we will eventually find how to know if you've forgotten. If you have your Bibles, you can turn to 2 Peter chapter 1. 2 Peter chapter 1. Now, we're going to read quite a bit here, so if you have your Bibles, turn there so you can read along with, and it's going to take a moment to get there, but I don't know if we've forgotten. Now, we're coming up on, on a national uh, holiday, Memorial Day. Uh, Memorial Day is a day where we take the time to remember. And I think it's, it's fitting to uh, look in the Scripture at how to know if you've forgotten uh, on a day, on a weekend where we come up on a holiday where we're supposed to remember. Uh, Memorial Day, obviously, is a time when we pause and we acknowledge that the freedoms and the life that we celebrate, the liberties and all the things that we enjoy, uh, those things did not come free, that there was a high price paid for those things, and, and it was paid in, in blood. And Memorial Day is a, a day in which we take the time to acknowledge those who gave their lives so that we could live. And I want to, to take the time to look into the scripture here. Uh, I think it's fitting with the timing being what it is. You're in 2 Peter chapter 1. <clears throat> I want to start in verse 2. Now, verse 1 is simply a, a greeting. Verse 1 is Peter acknowledging that he's writing and that he's writing to you. And he, he speaks something. I think it's worth acknowledging there in verse 1. He says, to those who received a faith the same kind as ours. I mean, I like that, that he opens up his letter with that because he's, he's equating the reader and the writer, as far as faith is concerned. Now, what this does is this eliminates any argument that, that Peter had any different experience with Jesus or the Holy Ghost than you and I have access to. Peter's writing this, and he's saying, hey, I'm writing you this letter, and I'm first of all saying, hey, in the faith, you and I are one and the same. I didn't have a different experience. I'm not writing from some lofty high place where, well, you know, I actually talked to Jesus, and I was in the upper room when Acts chapter 2 was, was uh, coming to pass. And so I'm speaking down to you from this higher place of experience or learning. What he's saying is, hey, we're one and the same. 
We've got access to the same Jesus Christ, Savior and Deliverer. We have access to the same Holy Ghost, the empowerment that God's poured out, the fulfillment of his promise. I'm writing to you, and we're the same. And I think that's worth noting. Then he gets to verse 2, and he begins to get to the reason for his writing. And this is where you can read along with me there in your, your Bibles if you like. He says, Grace and peace be multiplied to you in the knowledge of God and Jesus Christ our Lord seeing that his divine power has granted to us everything pertaining to life and godliness through the true knowledge of him who called us. Now, some of your Bibles say by there. I mean, I'm just curious, if you're reading along, how many of your Bibles say by? He called us by. Okay, well, a better translation is to. He called you to. He called you to his own glory and excellence. Now, a lot of the, the translators wrestle with that. You know, can you actually be called to the glory or the excellence of God? The answer to that is absolutely yes. Some people were more comfortable saying, well, he called you by it. But you'll see here in a moment that two is going to be a better translation because it is in context with everything else that's stated. So let me go back and reread for a moment. That God's granted us through these uh, promises everything pertaining to life and godliness through the knowledge of him who called us to his own glory and excellence. For by these he has granted us his precious and magnificent promises, so that by them you may become partakers of the divine nature, having escaped the corruption that is in the world by its lust. So God's calling us to his glory so that we can be partakers in his nature, so that we can share in his nature, so that we can be like him. I mean, everything that God's doing in your life and in my life through the work of the cross, the empty tomb, the outpouring of the Holy Ghost is to shape and mold you into the likeness and image that we were once created in in the very beginning. He's making you just like Jesus. It goes on to say this in verse 5. He says, now, for this very reason also, apply diligence in your faith to supply. And then now here comes a list of things. Now, if, you were taking, if I were taking notes along with you, I would write down the things in this list. There's going to be seven things total, and they come in an order. Now, in supply, first of all, moral excellence. And in moral excellence, knowledge, that would be the second one. And in your knowledge, self-control, that would be the third one. And in self-control, perseverance, that would be the fourth one. And in perseverance, godliness, there's five. And in godliness, brotherly kindness, there's six. And in brotherly kindness, love, there's seven. Now, some of this may sound a little familiar because we've talked about this passage before, but we're going to apply it in a, in a different perspective of this morning. So we see that God's doing something. He's making us like Jesus. He's He's getting, away, uh, getting us away from the lust that exists in the world, the corruption that exists in the world, and he's moving us into and transforming us into the likeness of Jesus Christ, and he's doing it through the impartation or the supply of moral excellence and, and true knowledge and self-control and perseverance and godliness and brotherly kindness and love. He's doing it through these wonderful things, these, as the Bible refers to them, as precious and magnificent promises. And it goes on to say this in verse 8. Now, if these qualities are yours and are increasing, they render you neither useless, now, a better translation for that is unemployed, or unfruitful or barren in the true knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. 
I mean, when these seven things are alive and active, when they're pursued and they're stirred, when they're embraced, when they're cultivated, now that's a word that you may not use. I mean, for some it's a gardening term. For me, it is a farming term, cultivation. Uh, When we cultivated a field, it meant the field had already been sown, that means planted, that it had already germinated, which means it sprouted, and that it had already grown. But then we would go in and we would cultivate. What we would do is we would equip the the plow with certain uh, equipment so that we could drive down the rows, and it would cut out all of the weeds and it would leave the plant. I had really bad eyesight as a kid, so I, I actually plowed under a few fields in my day. It was not a good thing. You had to be very specific. You had about this much space on either side of the plant, maybe an inch or two. And then all the rest of the ground was turned over. And what it did was it got rid of all of the weeds, all the things that weren't meant to be there, all the things that sucked up resources but didn't produce. And it left what was intentionally planted to be productive. Cultivate. When these things are in our lives, when they're embraced, when they're celebrated, when they're cultivated, meaning that we intentionally give them what they need and we don't allow other things to distract from them, then we are always productive in the kingdom of God. According to the scripture there, it says we're never rendered useless. Then we're always fruitful in the kingdom of God. We're never rendered unfruitful. Now then, here comes the point. Now, if you'll remember, one of the things that you were being offered as we entered into this was how to know if you've forgotten. Now, we're going to have to look at this and maybe connect a couple of dots, but I believe that we're able to do that this morning. In the next verse, after we hear about how when these things are embraced, when these promises are celebrated, when these things are present and increasing, then productivity and fruitfulness is the result. Verse 9 now begins to speak of the absence of these precious, magnificent promises. In verse 9, it says, The one who lacks these qualities, these qualities being moral excellence, Knowledge, self-control, perseverance, godliness, brotherly kindness, and love. When these are lacking, when these qualities are lacking, the individual is blind or short-sighted, having forgotten his purification from former sins. Did you catch that? Having forgotten his purification from former sins. It goes on in verse 10 to say, Therefore, brethren, be all the more diligent to make certain about his calling and choosing you. For as long as you practice these things, you will never stumble. Now, when I read things like that in the scripture, when I read absolutes that guarantee success or guarantee victory or guarantee uh, some measure of prosperity, I notice those things. They stand out to me. I want to highlight them. I want to find out what they're attached to so they can be rightly applied to my life. I would like to have that promise. I mean, we buy products. We intentionally select products based on the guarantee that's attached to them. Have you ever done that? I mean, I do it all the time. Uh, I had a a little bit of trouble with a vehicle recently. You know, I get a call from my wife. She says, hey, what does it mean when the check engine light comes on? Well, honey, that's a problem. Okay, well, what does it mean then if it starts blinking? Well, that means uh, pull over. (laughs) When it's blinking at you, you know, when it comes on, it's like, hey, buddy. And then when it starts blinking, it's like, hey, man, you got to pay attention to this. You better see that. That blinking is like the equivalent of a light bulb screaming, okay? So coming on, it's just like, hey, hey, you might want to check into this. And blinking is a whole other situation. So, so I you know, found out what we needed, began to shop for parts, and began to look around. I found some that you know, were, were, were 
way less expensive than others. And so I thought, well, you know what I want to check? I want to check the guarantee, you know. Well, the one that was a little bit more was guaranteed for life. The one that was a little less was guaranteed for a couple of months. I decided to pay more for the guarantee. When we see a guarantee attached to something, it's desirable. And God is speaking to this in us when he reveals to us these guarantees, these promises such as you will never stumble. That ought to stand out to us and say, wow, that's worth paying the price for. Because I've done things my way or the other way and stumbled and it's not been worth it. But when we see this, when we see a promise like this, it needs to stand out and motivate us to pursue those things which God values and which he says bring with it an attached promise. So when it comes down to knowing if you have forgotten, I know it's been a lot of reading, I know it's been a lot of talking, I want to get back to the point. The point is these things, these, these qualities as the scripture describes them, these things that are made up beginning with moral excellence and knowledge, self-control, perseverance, godliness, brotherly kindness and love, when these things are present, things are good. When these things are missing, the individual where these things are missing or found lacking is described as one who has forgotten the purification that he's known in Jesus. He's forgotten where he comes from. For you and for me, I think this is an opportunity for a little self-examination. Uh, am I lacking in moral excellence? Do I feel like I've been slipping? Is there a part of me that maybe, you know, hey, a couple years ago, I would have never looked at that. I would have never watched that. I would have never partaken in that. And here I am now indulging it. Is there a part of me that feels like my moral excellence is eroded or is slipping? If so, then I need to realize I've forgotten. I've forgotten where I've come from. I've forgotten that I was once on a pathway to death and destruction and Jesus in all of his goodness and the full manifestation of God's love for my life delivered me from that and set me on a path of life. I have forgotten that. I have taken that for granted. And now here I sit with my moral excellence eroding. Any of these elements, you can apply that same principle. Godly knowledge. Am I listening to what the scripture says about things? Or am I listening to CNN, NBC, ABC, whatever alphabet you want to string together? They keep adding them. I think they're wanting to use the entire alphabet before they're done. Self-control. Do I feel like self-control is slipping? Am I able to, to handle myself when there's pressure, when there's tension, or am I losing my cool? If I'm losing my cool, if that's eroded, if it's disappearing, it means I've forgotten. I've forgotten who I am and where I come from. Perseverance, the ability to hang in there and not give up. Godliness. Now, godliness is an interesting one to me because you can leave it as it is, and that's fine. Godliness meaning being godly, doing things the way God would do it. But that's so uh, broad and, and uh, uh, it reaches so far that it could be thin to us, where it covers so much ground that, that we can't wrap our minds around it, therefore it covers no ground. But I like a, a translation or interpretation there of, of good reverence is actually a, a good translation. Good reverence or good worship. When I think of that, I think of this, has my worship waned? Do I feel like that my life of worship has has begin to erode? 
where at one time I was once the one with hands lifted high because they're no longer handcuffed together and my heart free to express my, my joy and celebration? Or am I now the one that's standing on the front row with my arms folded thinking, why is she yelling? That's weird. I wished an usher would do something about that. I remember a story, it was told to me, it was actually told to me by my father. Now, I've heard him tell this story, so I'm not uncovering him. But he was once given a responsibility to go into certain churches and, and help them with certain problems and things like that. And, and he went into a, a church there, and he was standing there on the front row, and the worship was going on, and I'm sure that he was spruced up. You know, there's a certain amount of honor that comes with being the guest, you know. And I think he was probably feeling that. When he tells the story, you can tell that there's... You know, he, he's not the good guy in this story, you know. He's standing there, and he's probably feeling like, well, I've arrived, and I'm going to help you people with your pitiful problem, you know. And, and, and I mean, he doesn't have an attitude like that, but that can creep in. He's standing there on the front row, and the worship's going on. And he when he tells the story, he just says, a woman just erupts in laughter, hysterical laughter. And at first, you know, he just thinks like, oh, well, that's interesting. And then, you know, two songs go by, and she's still going. And now she's, like, rolling around on the floor. And he's thinking, um, is somebody going to do something about that? A third song comes, and she is still just letting it rip. I mean, laughing hysterically, rolling on the floor. And it's one of those things where, like, you know, he's looking around now, looking for an usher, looking for us. And finally, this, this thought pops into his head, well, I'll just deal with it. And I think he's about to step over to address this thing, and the pastor, you know, uh, tugs on his, his shirt there, the pastor standing next to him, the pastor of the church, and he just says, hey, you see that woman over there? And, and, and my dad's thought had to be like, oh, uh, what woman? <laughs> you know, I was like, yeah, I think everybody sees that woman over there. Are you kidding me? You know? He said, it's amazing. God just healed her last week of uncontrollable diarrhea. She hasn't been able to leave her house for six years. And all of a sudden, all of those judgmental thoughts in my father's mind just disappeared. He thought, I think I'd be rolling around laughing too if I just got delivered from uncontrollable diarrhea after six years of not being able to leave the house. Well, the, the point with these things is that we have a call upon our lives to walk in these things, the moral excellence, the knowledge, the self-control, the perseverance, the godliness, the brotherly kindness, the love, we can forget where we come from. And when we forget where we come from, we, we, we alter in our thought process in how we see things. When we forget about the deliverance, when we forget about all that we have to be grateful for. Now, it's easy for us to see this when we read the Scripture. We'll read the scripture and we'll see a story like, like Jesus dining with the Pharisees and a woman who was once a prostitute running in and washing his feet with her hair and crying. And, and, and we read that and we see the Pharisees say, oh, rebuke that woman. And we think, you jerks. But yet we become those Pharisees so easily. When we look around and we see other people's celebration and their manifestation and we see that it hasn't waned like maybe ours has, that's why the Bible uses words like myopic, short-sighted, meaning you're not, you're not being able to see far back enough to remember that you too were once delivered. You too once had so much to give thanks for and celebrate for, and over time you have forgotten. And when you have forgotten these things, 
you'll see a waning and erosion in moral excellence, godly knowledge, self-control, perseverance, godliness, brotherly kindness, love. I mentioned to you before that we were going to find out why Jesus set us free. I want to get there. If you have your, your Bibles there, you can turn there. You can write it down for your notes. It's a simple passage out of Galatians. Galatians 5, verse 1. Galatians 5, verse 1. And I like passages of Scripture like this because they're, they're to the point. They're simple. They don't require a lot of, of interpretation or you don't have to ask yourself how it makes you feel. It's pretty direct. Galatians 5.1, it was for freedom that Jesus Christ set us free. I mean, all of the work that he would do, all of the work that he is doing, and all of the work that he will do in your life is to set you free. And the setting you free is so that you can be free. It was for freedom that Jesus Christ set us free. Now, if you're like me today, with the things that are going on today, you might hear a, a talking head on the television or someone on the radio speaking politically about what's going on in our country, and I think we could say, hey, it was for freedom that our forefathers set us free. I mean, the point of freedom is not to lose it. It's to keep it. It's to stay free, to remain free. The whole point of the work of Jesus Christ was not just to simply satisfy God and then let us get back to our unruliness, but it was to liberate us from the bondage that was keeping us separated from God and then keeping us pure and free from that bondage. If you read the rest of that passage, you'll see that's the point. Galatians 5.1, it begins with, it was for freedom that Christ set us free. The backside of that passage, therefore, keep standing firm and do not be subject again to a yoke of slavery. I mean, if I were to tell you how many times I've heard in a church service, in a message, or a person quote, it was for freedom that Jesus set me free. It's been a number of times. But oftentimes we don't consider the backside, the call to stand firm, to not lose that ground, to hold that ground. I feel like as it concerns personal liberties and personal freedoms right now, politically in our government today, that we've been set free to be free, but now there's the refusal to stand firm. And we're losing ground like you wouldn't believe. And we see it here in the scripture, a call, not in the physical, in the spirit, for us to remain in the freedom that we have been blessed and given by God through Jesus Christ. And I know that what applies there can apply in every aspect of my life. The willingness to stand firm and not lose that which we've been given. So as it concerns our lives, as it concerns uh, walking in the magnificent promises that God's given us, as it concerns remembering where we've come from and not losing the moral excellence and the, the godly knowledge and the self-control and the perseverance and, and the, the reverence or godliness and the brotherly kindness and love, as it concerns walking in those things, being positioned to never stumble, always being useful and never being unfruitful, I want to know how we are called to that freedom. I want to give you a couple of passages of Scripture here. John 8, 31 and 32. John 8, 31 and 32. I like this passage of Scripture because of how it opens. I want to read the opening and then I'm, I'm going to pause. 
Because I want you to just think about it. I mean, don't let me just read past it and, and hear it as white noise. Listen to these opening words. Jesus was saying to those Jews who had believed him. I want to say that again. Jesus was saying to those Jews who had believed him. Now, when you hear that or you read that, does it stand out to you that Jesus is talking to believers? He's not talking to unbelievers. He's not standing in front of a crowd of heathens who, who are uh, you know, living their lives in sin and debauchery like in the days of Noah, and he's calling them to repent. Jesus is speaking to a group of people who are religious, they're Jews, and they've believed him. Now they're Messianic Jews. They believe Jesus is the Christ, the anointed one. They're believing the words that he's speaking, that he is the fulfillment of God's promise to deliver his people. He was speaking to those Jews who had believed him. Even the word those implies that there were other people, and they weren't the people that he was addressing right now. It's being very specific. He's talking to a group, a group of people who are Jewish, in this group of Jews Believe him. Did you catch that? I mean, I know I've kind of harped on it there, but I think it's important. When I read the next part of this, I need to read it with the understanding that Jesus is telling this to believers. I'm a believer, so I need to hear this. When Jesus is addressing those Jews who had believed him, when Jesus is addressing believers, he makes this statement, and it opens with a condition. If. If you continue in my word, then you are truly disciples of mine. And you will know the truth, and the truth will make you free. What an amazing thing to consider that Jesus would speak this, and he would speak it to believers. Now, the, the culture, the, the, the religious culture, or, or even the church culture, I, I don't want to overreach here, but the culture as I see it today would apply a passage like this as, as being directed toward the unbeliever. Because as a Christian, well, uh, I'm already free. But Jesus is speaking to those who believe. And when he's speaking to those who believe, he gives them a word, a word that has a condition attached to it. It's an instruction. If you continue in my word, that's the action, then here comes the result. You're truly disciples of mine and you'll know the truth. The result of knowing the truth is the truth will make you free. I mean, as we consider the holiday that is upon us, Memorial Day, as we see in the scripture here that we can forget, we can forget the deliverance from our sin and our captivity. And the result of forgetting those things is an erosion in our, our moral excellence and an erosion in these godly attributes that God's blessed us with. And let me ask you this. Do you see an erosion of those things among believers today? Do you see an erosion of moral excellence? Do you see an erosion of, of Bible knowledge? I mean, even just one generation ago when I grew up, we went to Sunday school and, and we had Wednesday night and we were constantly in a state of studying the Word. I don't see that today. Do you see an erosion of self-control? Now, I don't just mean like I stubbed my toe and I cussed. I mean, that's, that is self-control. It's on the list, right? But self-control is in like being able to temper your own lustful desires and surrender them to God rather than act on them. I see people doing what they want, doing what makes them happy. 
Or I'm no longer happy with my wife and she makes me happy. So I'm, I'm divorcing and I'm remarrying because I deserve to be happy. Total lack of self-control. Being completely led by self. Self-indulgence. Do you see an erosion of perseverance? I, I do. I mean, perseverance meaning we hang in there. I see people today at the first sign of disagreement separate and break fellowship. I've seen it a lot as a pastor. I mean, uh, honestly, I've seen a lot of people leave churches before. I've seen people join churches. I've seen people leave churches. And to break fellowship over some of the things people have broken fellowship for is an indication to me of a lack of perseverance, an unwillingness to endure past the problem. An erosion in reverence or godliness. Now, I'm going to take some liberties here, okay? I mean, I'm not trying to throw rocks here, but I'm going to make some comments. It's personal opinion, all right? And by the way, I think we have it really good here. Now, I told you before that reverence or, or good reverence or could be, you know, good worship, things like that. I love Pastor Jared and his conviction to bring a, a worship as a congregation into Champions Church. And I've really never worked with a, an individual who was so aware of, of the, the lyrics. I mean, there are a ton of songs that are super popular right now that, that could be played on any Sunday morning, and, and they would really, you know, be desirable to a lot of people. The problem is their words are garbage. I mean, half the time uh, I, I'm listening to talk radio because I can't stand Christian radio. And then I get tired of talk radio, I go back to Christian radio. It's kind of a bad ping pong match. It's back and forth and back and forth. But I think it's, there's been an erosion in our reverence where now there's things before where things were, were so doctrinally sound in praise and in worship. That in fact, I remember just one generation ago, the scripture song. Do you remember the scripture song? And here's what's amazing about the scripture song was you could go anywhere and, and you could hear the same song kind of. I mean, like, they have their own little dialect or their own version, you know. I pastored in Oklahoma, and there was a woman who was, was a, a generation older than, than I was, and she grew up in, in those circles, and I asked her once a week, will you bring a different scripture song? And we made it a feature in the worship. I mean, it was really an interesting thing to do. I mean, it, 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 I, I loved it. I don't know how everybody else felt about it. But worship and reverence used to be so sound doctrinally. Now today it has become in pursuit of art, artistic uh, liberty or in pursuit of financial gain. It has become so loose that some of the songs borderline on blasphemy. I, I don't want to give examples. I feel like it would just be slander. But I feel like godliness has eroded. That reverence, that good worship has eroded. Brotherly kindness, I feel like that's eroded. Love, I feel like that's eroded. So here's why Jesus would be so committed to seeing us walk in freedom. And here's why when he would stand before believers... He would say, hey, believers, listen up. If you continue in my word, then you're truly disciples of mine. You'll know the truth, and the truth will make you free. The reason why he would say something like that is because just in a couple of verses later, he reveals why that freedom, that pursuit is so necessary. 
If you get down to verse 34, you'll see, truly, truly, I say to you, everyone who commits sin is a slave to sin. When sin becomes an embraced part of our life, when it becomes tolerated, when we refuse to respond to God's direction, when we forget what we've been delivered from, when we forget what we've been called to, when we open the door for the erosion of moral excellence and knowledge and self-control and perseverance and godliness and brotherly kindness and love, when we open the door for those things, we open the door for bondage. I want to tell you quickly just how to stay free. We've talked about Jesus setting us free, and there's something that needs to be present in our lives for the freedom that Jesus brings to remain. I want to give you a passage of Scripture out of 2 Corinthians. 2 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 17. 2 Corinthians 3, 17. Now, it reads like this. Now, the Lord is the Spirit, and where the Spirit of the Lord is, there's liberty. There's freedom. Uh, This is a passage of Scripture that you could throw out onto the table, and we could discuss it all morning. We could use our entire time talking about our current situation. Do you think that it's any coincidence that as the Spirit of the Lord has been rejected in our country, all of a sudden the liberties and freedoms that we know are shrinking away as well? I think that's connected. I don't think that's a coincidence at all. Where the Spirit of the Lord is, there's liberty. So we have an instruction now from Paul to do something very specific. I want to give you that instruction here, and I think it's, it's extremely important for us to catch this out of 1 Thessalonians, excuse me, 1 Thessalonians 5.19. It's an instruction, it's a call, it's, it's a simple, short instruction But as Paul is describing Christian living and godly living, he includes this in the list of attributes that are necessary for the believer to live as God called them to live. 1 Thessalonians 5.19, do not quench the Spirit. Do not quench the Spirit. And I can tell you growing up in church circles and working in in church circles with pastors and and myself pastoring, I have heard this verse quoted and interpreted a number of different ways. But I want you to understand that the Holy Spirit is constantly speaking to you, whether you ever acknowledge it or not. I want to give you a passage of scripture here, and this is really the point. I told you before, one of the things we're going to find is what the Holy Spirit does what the Holy Spirit does you have your Bibles you can go to John 16 the gospel of John chapter 16 I'm going to begin reading in verse 7 but I want you to pay very close attention to verse 8 I remember where the Holy Spirit is, there's liberty. We have a call to not quench the Holy Spirit. Quench as in put out or extinguish. And Jesus is speaking and he says, I tell you the truth. It's to your advantage that I go away. Now he's talking about death and resurrection and ascension into heaven. For if I do not go away, the helper will not come to you. Now the helper is the Holy Spirit. 
But if I go, I will send him to you. How many of you could use a little help? I know I could. Now verse 8. And when he comes, when the helper comes, when the Holy Spirit comes, he will convict the world concerning sin, righteousness, and judgment. I mean, those are, are three things there that the Holy Spirit is doing. He's bringing conviction concerning sin, concerning righteousness, and concerning judgment. Concerning sin, concerning righteousness, and judgment. He's bringing conviction concerning sin, righteousness, and judgment. Jesus goes on to say, concerning sin, because they don't believe in me. Concerning righteousness, because I go to the Father and you no longer see me. And concerning judgment, because the ruler of this world has been judged. He's referring to Satan there, and I think that one deserves some underlining, some circling, and maybe a little happy face by it. Because Satan has been judged. I got news for you, he was found a liar. But as it concerns the Holy Spirit's work and the conviction concerning sin, righteousness, and judgment, the Holy Spirit is able to convict us concerning sin, meaning speak to you, direct you. Now the world even acknowledges an element of conviction and the only way that they can refer to this thing is, is to refer to it as a conscience. But for you and for me, we ought to know better. This is not a conscience, it is a, the Spirit of God, it is an assistance, it is the help that Jesus promised that there is a conviction concerning what's right, concerning what's wrong, and concerning who's in charge. Concerning sin, concerning righteousness, and concerning judgment. That in any given moment, the Holy Spirit is constantly reminding me that that will lead to death, that will lead to prosperity, and Jesus is on the throne. That sin is a lie, that righteousness is true, and that Satan is a liar, that he's been judged, and that Jesus has been exalted to rule, to reign forevermore, an unshakable kingdom whose king will never turn over his crown to another, not through death, not through failure, but he will rule and he will reign forever. Now the word there that I want to understand is the word convict. I mean, I think that's really important. If the Holy Spirit is sent to convict the world concerning sin, righteousness, and judgment, then I need to know what that means. And I want to give you a definition of the word conviction. Conviction. If you turn to the dictionary and you look up the word conviction, here's, here's what you'll get. Something similar anyway. The state of being aware of error or compelled to truth. Aware of error, or compelled to truth. I mean, the Holy Spirit is basically a pass-fail filter for anything in this world, for me and for you, to understand, yeah, that's error, or yeah, that's truth. Whether it's something that should be done or shouldn't be done, we have in us, by the work of Jesus Christ, by the presence of the Holy Spirit, the ability to understand what's error and what's truth. When I look around today and I see how much confusion has been injected into the lives of people, the lives of Christians, the lives of believers, the congregations, 
My concern is, in absence for that filter, have we quenched the spirit? Have we forgotten where we've come from? Has there been an erosion of moral excellence and knowledge and self-control and perseverance and godliness and brotherly kindness and love? Have we taken back on a yoke of slavery because we've forgotten? Have we just reserved Jesus' call to know the truth and the truth will set you free? Have we reserved that as an evangelistic call to the heathen or do we observe that he's speaking that to believers? He's speaking that to me this morning. No matter what my ministry credentials may be. Because the moment I begin to abandon the truth, I begin to be led by error. And are we a people who walk by conviction, the conviction of the Holy Spirit? What a relief to know that God would send help, the helper, to come into my life, into your life, so that we could know the difference between truth and error, so that we could walk in the path of truth, following after the Spirit's leading, following after his guidance, making a way for all of the promises that God brings into our lives, the qualities of moral excellence and godly knowledge, self-control, perseverance, godliness, brotherly kindness, and love to not only be present in our lives but increase so that we can be those believers that the Word speaks about, those believers that never stumble. I want to trust and believe God for something great this morning. I want to ask you to stand with me. I want to be a people who remember. Who remember where we come from. And don't know an erosion of those things that God has brought into our lives. I want to trust God to be a people who can walk in conviction. Embracing and knowing that the call to walk in the truth, the call to walk in the words of Jesus Christ, the call to live out a life that leads to freedom is not a call that's responded to once, but it's a call that is responded to in every waking moment of our lives. I want to trust and believe God for something great to take place in us. The Bible promises the the ability to be separated from the world through the renewal of our mind. I want to trust that God can do that right here and now. For me, for you, to alter the way that we think and see and perceive. And for that way to be altered in accordance to his word. I want to stand and, and be transformed and be changed. So that when the world is in a panic all around, we can stand as the light that we've been called to be. So that we don't simply, no pun intended, shelter in place with the rest of the world and then all stick our heads out at the same time and say, whoa, what was that? But when the world finally sticks its head back out, it sees us standing firm as the example and the light that we were always called to be. A people led by conviction. A people with the ultimate filter of truth and error attached to our life so that our thoughts and our actions are in agreement with the direction of our King Jesus. I want to pray this morning and I want to ask God to do a work in us. There where you stand, you can simply be in a state of receiving, you can be in a state of agreement, but I want to trust and believe God to do a work in each of us.
Father, we bless your name and we thank you for your word. We thank you for truth and the freedom that results from it. We repent for any myopic living that we might forget where we've come from, that you are our heavenly father, that you have sent our deliverer, and that you have liberated us from all that was leading to unfruitfulness and death. Let our eyes be open to see the precious promises that you bring into our lives, the qualities that you've called us to, that we might share in the divine nature. Where there's been any erosion of those things, let there be a turning away from that which has caused that separation, that weakness. Let us be built up in moral excellence. Let us grow in knowledge of who you are. Let us be rich in self-control, perseverance, reverence. Let us be filled and overflowing with brotherly kindness and love for one another. And bring us to a place where we see Jesus as our King. That His words will lead us and guide us every day. And as we embrace His words, as we follow after His words, let us be a people who truly know the freedom that You've called us to. And we surrender now our hearts and our minds to the conviction of the Holy Spirit. And we thank you that you would not abandon us, but that you would send help. Let us begin to see in your word what you've done and why you've done it. And let us rise every day and give you thanks for this wonderful thing that you have not left us to figure things out on our own, but you've promised us guidance and direction that we might know truth to embrace an error to reject. Give us the courage and the strength to abandon all other counsel but the counsel of our King Jesus through the conviction of the Holy Ghost. We bless you and we thank you. And as we walk in these ways, let us stand as light in this world, a light that would shine into the darkness, giving hope, and giving direction to those who are lost to come to know the full measure of your loving kindness. We bless your name, and we thank you in the mighty name of Jesus. And all the saints declared, amen. Thank you for listening to this message from Champions Church. We invite you to join us this Sunday for our celebration worship service. For more information, please visit us at champschurch.com.